I hope everybody didn't even think about it. Does everybody have a Bible? If for some reason you don't have a Bible, we've got a number of Bibles right on the back. And so if you want to, just go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, okay? Colossians chapter 2, that's probably part of the first place we'll get to when we start going. So tonight we begin a study we're calling the 412 Christian Life. If you know, we got all kind of stuff. We've got the 2-2, which is 2 Timothy 2-2, which is, you know, taking what you've been taught and passing on. Then we got the 412 Foundations. This is the 412 Christian Life. We have another 412 called 412 Discipline for Godliness, which is a lot of fun. We'll teach that sometime. We, we've got all kind of different things. The 412 Foundations... Uh, gives you basically what believers need to know and understand. They deal with salvation and discipleship and Bible study methods. But in the 412 Christian life, we're moving really into a little bit deeper things. We're, our goal is, as a believer, to become like Jesus Christ. That's the plan, to be a godly man or woman. So as we look at the 412 Christian life, we want to focus on some key things. So here's what I want you to do. You should have an outline at the very front of your book, right? Flip over to the outline for just a second, because I want you to see what we're going to be doing over these weeks, okay? It should just say 412 Christian Life, Truths and Principles, and then there's two parts. Notice we've got it as two parts. We call it the foundations and the details. And if you look at that, the foundations, we're going to have five lessons. The first five lessons are going to deal with these five things. If you notice, it says the change, the growth, the walk, the power, the results. The change is we're going to, and that's the one we're going to look at tonight. What happens to us when we trust Christ as Savior. What, what changes? And then we'll look at that. The second lesson is dealing with growth and the how can we grow? What makes us grow? That kind of thing. The third one, we call it the walk of the Christian life. And we're going to really get into it because the Bible uses the term walk more than any other place as far as Christian life. We'll even mention that tonight. We'll see that. The four, fifth, fourth lesson is called power. How do we have victory? How do we live the Christian life? What is the power? We, if you know, we, you know, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that. And then the the fifth lesson will be the results. What do we look like? What are we supposed to be like when we're living in the power of the Holy Spirit and we're being what we'd call a godly, faithful person? What do we look like? That's what we'll look in those first five lessons. Then the next lessons, if you see six through fourteen, we call it the details because what we're going to do is it gets a little bit more into theology, and the, I think one of the greatest passages for victory in the Christian life is Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7, those two passages. But if you notice in the details, lesson 6 and 7 is Romans chapter 6 part 1 and Romans chapter 6 part 2. Romans chapter 6 tells us how to have victory in the Christian life. I never, I never heard that. Before I went to seminary, people would say things like, how do you have victory in the Christian life? I'd say, well, what you got to do is you, you got to walk in the Spirit, and if you sin, you confess it and get back into fellowship. And, isn't that right? Isn't that what we always hear? Well, when we get to Romans chapter 6, Paul didn't say anything about confessing sin. In fact, what he says is, don't sin. That's what he says. And so there's some truths in Romans chapter 6, which I went to Dallas Seminary, and a professor by the name of Bill Lawrence, and... He was the first person I ever heard teach Romans chapter 6. Now, I've had a lot of people teach Romans. I mean, Knapp used to teach Romans, and we'd go through it. And I actually studied and looked at Romans, but I never put together Romans 6 like when I was there. Until then, I have spent some time studying and digging it. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 6, basically two parts, and then Romans chapter 7 with the conflict. If you ever remember Romans chapter 7, that's where Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. What a wretched man that I am. And that's Romans chapter 7. We do not want to stay 
in Romans chapter 7, okay? We want to find out the basis in Romans chapter 6. We do not want to stay in Romans chapter 7. We'd like to get to Romans chapter 8, <laughs> which is a lot better chapter. But anyway, then after that, if you notice, we're going to talk about sin and failure, dealing with sin. We're going to talk about fruit, which is producing fruit. Not fruit, but fruit, producing fruit. We're going to talk about rewards. So there's a whole, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff we'll see over the, the week, over the uh, semester. So here's, here's my, my plea. Don't stop coming. Let's say you miss a couple or you miss one or two. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I missed two or three of them, so I'm not going to go anymore. Don't stop because all these lessons, even though they all go together at the same time, you can gain something from each one. So if you get behind or, you know, miss a few, don't stop coming. Just come on and finish out the semester. We'll, we'll have a lot of fun. I think the goal is that we would hear him say one day what? Well done, well done good and faithful servant. So uh, as those of us who've trusted Christ... We realized we're different. We are. You're not the same as you used to be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up some drawings just to start with. And then one of the drawings, we're going to look at a whole bunch over the whole semester. Let me give you, I hope you can see this. I, I majored in art, so this is why I'm really a good artist. Okay, this, this is Adam. Huh? Okay. How's that? Okay, when God created Adam, he had a body, a soul, and a spirit. Right? He made in the image of God. The body holds everything together. The soul relates to the world, the mind, the emotion, the will. And the spirit relates to God. Relates to God. That's the spiritual part of man. Okay, that's before the fall. Then man sinned, Adam sinned, and this is what human beings, Adam, became like. Got a body, got a soul. Then the Bible tells us that right after the fall, God said to Adam and Eve, now that you know what? Right from wrong, people have a conscience. Tells us right from wrong. This relates to the world. This is the conscience, tells you right from wrong. The Bible tells us in Romans that the law is written on our hearts. The, the rights and wrongs are inside people. When People know things are right and know things are wrong. There's just certain things that people say, that's wrong, that's right. And then he also has, or we also have what's called the flesh, which is the, the bent to sin. It's called the flesh. It's called the old man. And so here is what we look like when people are born in this world. As the Bible says, we're born and dead in sin. But here we are. We've got a body that holds it together. We've got a soul which relates to the world around us. We've got a conscience that says, this is right and this is wrong. And then we have a flesh which is pulling us a natural bent to sin. Do we teach children to do wrong? We teach children to do what? To do right. Do they naturally do wrong? They naturally take toys from somebody else. They naturally hit somebody else. They naturally lie. Did you take that? No, I didn't. It's in your hand. I can see it in your hand, right? Because that's what we do. We, we naturally sin, okay? And so this is what we look like, okay, before we put our faith in Christ. And then, as you know, the salvation is a gift by faith alone and Christ alone. It's not our works. It's not our goodness. Faith and so here we are. This is a believer, this, of course, is an unbeliever. Now, we're, we're, this, is, this is before, this is 
at the fall. And then these people, this is human beings made in the likeness of Adam. Okay? Then when we believe, and this is the one that we're going to spend a lot of time on, as we see. We, we have a body. What else do we have? A soul, a conscience, a flesh. But the moment we trust Christ, we're born again. It's called regeneration. And we become spiritually alive. And we have a spirit. Look, we were dead, and now we're alive. And then the Holy Spirit, which is God, comes to live in us. So look at the difference. This is an unbeliever. This is a believer. Body, soul, conscience, flesh. Body, soul, conscience, flesh. Spirit, not not Holy Spirit. This is not. This is the human spirit. This is a spiritual part. This is the part that relates to God. This is the part that relates to the world. Now, because we were dead in trespasses and sins, now we're alive. We can no one understand God, which we couldn't. And we have God, the Holy Spirit, in us. That's talking about us at this stage. So that's the big three. I want you to think about. And this is us. And if you notice. There's this flesh. What does that do? Wants to what? And this is the Holy Spirit that wants to do what? Obey and serve. Do you see any kind of problem there? There's a conflict right there. Going on inside of every person. So as we start this, I just wanted you to see the fact that we who have trusted Christ as Savior, we're different people. This is us. And as we look at this, we're gonna, we, we've moved from death to life, from darkness to light, from the des- destiny of being separated from God to eternal life. And, and so this is who we are. So let's start and let's talk about this Christian life. And so I've got the first thing for you is what is the Christian life? I mean, think about it. The Christian life, I got the little block. The Christian life is the time period from salvation by faith in Christ until we're with the Lord, either by death or his return for us. So this time period we call the Christian life, it begins the moment you trusted Christ as Savior. February 13th, 1969, I put my faith in Christ as Savior. That began, that exact moment began my Christian life. And it'll go until I die physically or Jesus comes back and gets us all. Either way. And so this is this time period that we're talking about. And so realize either you're going to die and be with Jesus because to be absent from the body is what? present with the Lord, or he's going to come in the clouds. The dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain be caught up together, and we'll be with them. And that'll end what we call the Christian life in that sense. But the time is short. Do you agree the time is short? Now, Paul thought Jesus could come at his time, right? And that's been quite a while. And so if, if Paul thought Jesus could come, and he could, could he come now? Is there anything that has to be completed for Jesus to come back? The answer is no. He could come in any second. Any second. So let's think about it. Let's talk about Christian life. What are some ways that the Christian life is described in the Bible? Most of you know them if you've heard of them. First one sometimes called a race. It, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 basically run the race with endurance. So it's like a, a long distance race. One thing I learned a long time ago is the Christian life is not a sprint. You know, it's just not. 
Uh, I coached uh, track, and over the period of years, I coached the sprints, and I coached the distance people. And distance people, what you do is you tell them to start running, and we'll tell you when to stop. You know, and it just goes. But sprinters, you know, they're all fancy and everything, and they, they have to warm up, and then they, you know, they run fast, and then they're through. You go to a track meeting and it's like 10,000 meters. Well, they're just running and running 27 minutes. They finally threw 100 meters is less than 10 seconds. I mean, you know, so it, it just, they're two different things. The Christian life is not a sprint. We know a lot of people start out fast and fade. But the Christian life is a race and it's a long distance race. It's also sometimes called a boxing match because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I do not box the air. He said, I'm just not, I know what I'm doing. And so sometimes the Christian life is described as a boxing match. And uh, th these are not something that you just got to know everything about it. The third way, if you go to the top of the next page, is sometimes called a wrestling match. Because Paul says we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of wickedness, against uh, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So sometimes it could be called a race, sometimes a boxing match, sometimes wrestling. I mean, it's, Paul used athletic events all the way through because when he wrote, he wrote to a world that was controlled basically by the Romans and the Romans and the Greeks. Uh, they had, loved sports. They had the games, the Isthmus games, all of those kind of things. So, you know, using the sports analogy, uh, Paul used it a lot. The fourth way, and it's probably the one that the Bible uses the most, and it's called a walk. The walk of the Christian life. And when you think of walking, you think of going step by step, day by day, keeping on walking. And that's what the Christian life is. Over and over, walking in the Spirit, living for the Lord, getting up day by day, doing what, he's supposed, doing what we're supposed to do. I think that that's why I think the key word in the Christian life is faithfulness. Because that's what it boils down to. You know, it's just every day you do what you're supposed to do. You get up with the goal of living for Christ and just saying whatever you have for me today. And so it's called the walk of the Christian life. And so I think as we go through our study, we're going to see that walk is one of the main ways. And we'll talk about that. The walk is described several ways. Colossians 2.6 is called a walk of faith. If you just want to write out besides Colossians 2.6, it's a walk of faith. As we've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. How did we receive Christ? We received Christ by what? Faith. By faith. So how do we live the Christian life? By faith. It's daily taking God at His Word. And that's what faith is. Faith is taking God at His Word. That's what it is. We're trusting God. That's what we're doing. We're trusting Him. We're, we're believing what He says. Living our lives based on the Word of God. But the object of the faith for the Christian life is the Bible. The object of the faith for, for salvation is Jesus Christ. We put our faith in Christ for eternal life. As a believer, the object of our faith is the Bible. The Word of God. So we put our faith in the living Word for eternal life, and we put our faith in the written Word for our Christian lives. That's just a way to think about it. And so we do that. Second Timothy says all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, you don't have to write every word down, I say. If you want to look some of the verses up at a different time, that's fine. But Second Timothy 3.16 basically says the Bible's inspired. It is. It's God-breathed. God gave us His Word. One thing about it, you can trust the Bible. You can trust it. It is perfect and true, and there, there are no errors in the Bible. It's, it's, it is right on, and it doesn't contradict itself. There may be some places it's hard, some things it's hard to put together, but the Bible is the living Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says it's alive and powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. So this is the Bible. The Christian life is called a walk of faith, and the walk of faith is based on Scripture. And that's why it's so important. That's why the foundation for our church, everything we try to do goes back to the Bible. 
because it's the foundation. The second way that the Christian life is described is Ephesians 4.1. It's called a worthy walk. He says, walk worthy of the calling in which you've been called. What are you called? What does God call you? What? A child of God. So walk worthy as a child of God. Sometimes we're called saints, which means set apart ones. So we should live as saints. Walk worthy of our calling. We're called children of God. We're called saints. We're to live worthy of who we are. We belong to God. I think, I think sometimes, uh, by the way, uh, let me just say something. And we've ta- You've heard me say this before. But based on this right here, you've had, I've had people say, who are you? And they say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. That sounds so good, but that's not who you are. You're a new creation in Christ. And you don't look at your life like I'm just an old sinner that's just barely going to make it. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're born again and, and have the Spirit of God and can know Him and you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can, I mean, you're, you're not that. That's not who you are. You're amazing. You're a new creation in Christ. So walk worthy of the calling in which you have been called. So as we look at this, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. But... Um, when we trust Jesus Christ, we're no longer the same. I've got something in here now. I don't want you to go crazy and try to write every word down, but there's a guy by the name of Kenneth Boyle. He went to Dallas Seminary. He went before I did. He's one of those guys that um, he really writes deep things, and he's, he's one of those guys we call spiritual. <laughs> we don't like to be like him, but he's really a good guy. And he wrote a book called That I May Know God. And in the first of the book, he lists who we are. And so I thought it might be fun. And you don't have to, uh, you don't, I, I'm going to say I am, and then we're going to list some things. So just write as fast as you can if you want to. I just wanted you to think of some things that who you are. First of all, just write, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. You're justified. Justified means you're declared right. God declares you righteous. You are redeemed. Redeemed means that God purchased you. He paid the penalty for your sins and bought you. You will never be condemned. Never. Never. There's no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Put down condemned and stop for a second. You know I have people say things like this. They'll say, oh, you know, one day you're going to stand before Jesus. It's going to be horrible. (laughs) Really? It's going to be horrible when you stand before Jesus? Uh, Where is your sin? Didn't Jesus take it and it's gone for it? So when you stand before Jesus, is he going to say, look what you did in the third grade. Look what you did when you were 22. Look what you did when you were 38. Look, is he going to say that? Look, the sins are gone. Where are the sins? As far as the east to the west, he's already taken them. When you stand before Jesus Christ, the only sadness will be if you realize that you didn't serve him. And he doesn't say, well done, good and faithful servant. So there's no condemnation. You will never stand before Jesus Christ to be condemned. Never. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You've trusted in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. There's no condemnation. You don't ever have to say, wonder when he's going to start bringing up all the stuff. They'll never be brought up. It's moved away as far as the east is to the west. Let me give you some more. You're an heir of God. Heir like you got uh, inheritance. Uh, You're a saint. You know, some people think a saint is a special Christian. No, every believer is set apart in Christ and that's called a saint. Uh, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
It always amazes me that you can stop when you write that written down. It always amazes me when I go to churches and they say, uh, can we go into the sanctuary? And I go, no, you can't because I just got through eating. Because, see, I'm the sanctuary. Aren't you the sanctuary? Aren't you the temple of God? Is that room in there the temple of God? No, it's auditorium. Where does God dwell? In you. You're the bodies of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not that room in there. It's a great room. It's a great auditorium. But let me tell you, all the, the, the body of Christ is in here. Okay? So, uh, 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 how about this one, that you're a new creation? How about that you have spiritual blessings? How about that you're forgiven? You, did you need forgiveness? Anybody need forgiveness? Yeah. <laughs> we, did we ever do anything wrong? A couple of times. <laughs> Whoever believes in him receives the forgiveness of sin. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. That means you're secure in Christ. You're sealed. Nothing can take you away from God. And then the last one that I just wanted to throw out. You're seated in the heavenly places. So just for fun. Isn't that some neat stuff? That's who you are. Should you go around like this? I like this. I'm a child of God. I'm a saint. I've been forgiven. There's no condemnation. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm an heir of God. I'm called a saint. I'm a new creation in Christ. I have spiritual blessings. I'm, that's who we are. So don't forget it, okay? At the top of the next page, I had a professor, the guy that taught me Romans chapter 6. His name was Bill Lawrence, and he said this, We cannot live the way we used to live because we're not who we used to be. Now, we know this. You can sin all over the place, and you can look just like an unbeliever, and that's just, I mean, that's, we can do that. But we're not supposed to live the way we used to live because we're not who we used to be. This is what we used to be. Where's the power to serve God in this right here? There's not any there. Where's the place that we can know and understand God as an unbeliever? You can't. That's when people start saying, tell these unbelievers all these biblical truths. You can't tell unbelievers biblical truths. They can't understand them. You have to go back to the one thing that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of, and that is that they have not believed in Christ. So you give them the gospel over and over and over. You don't have to know the whole Bible to talk to unbelievers. You just have to know the gospel and share your faith with them. So, some good stuff there. Okay, let's talk. Let's get really in now, sort of into the study. This is all kind of in uh, part background. But let's talk about part one, the foundation. And this lesson deals with the change. The change has happened to us. And we've already seen a little bit of it. And so, let's start with, but what happens to us? And by the way, salvation is a gift by faith in Jesus Christ. I, I think everyone in this room knows this, and there's no questions or anything, but a lot of people are confused about salvation. And they understand that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again, conquering death, but they don't know what a person must do to have eternal life. Because they'll say, well, I know Jesus died for me, and I know he rose again. And people say, well, what are you supposed to do? And I hear people say, well, I guess you join a church or you give him your life or, or you ask him to do this or you commit. Listen, the Bible says, what, what do you do? 
believe you put your faith in Christ to give you life forever, eternal life. That's all you do. It's not your works. It's not your goodness. It's not your faithfulness. It is trusting Jesus to give you eternal life. That's all it is. And when you trust in him, see, salvation is a gift by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus Christ offers us the gift of eternal life. So that's the change, the idea that God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Now with that in mind, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, okay, 2 Corinthians And I want you to see a verse that's powerful because this is going to describe the change. This is what, how we're different. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 describes this. And notice what it says. It says, therefore, if any man, what, is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So 2 Corinthians five seventeen describes us in two ways. Number one, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. And we'll explain what that means in just a minute, which means we're in union with Christ. We're placed in union with Christ. And then the second thing is not only are we in Christ, but we are a new creation. We are a new creation. And so that's the change, and that's what we're going to look at tonight, the two big things being found in Christ and being a new creation. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to erase this right here. So unbeliever, believer, we got that. We're going to see something else in just a second. The very first thing I want you to understand is that we've been placed in Christ. Okay, First Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, but First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, basically says we were baptized into one body. Now here's something I want you to understand. Here's Christ. What is the body of Christ called? What? The church. Okay, this is, this is Christ. This is the church. Okay, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He places you in Christ, which is in the body of Christ, which is in the church, which is a, a weird thing because we can't really grasp it, but you're actually placed in union with Jesus Christ. You're connected with Him. The moment you put your faith in Christ. So we are, if you want to write down, we are baptized into Christ. Now most people, when people think of baptism, they think of water baptism. But the Bible uses much more times baptism meaning union or connection. In fact, I've got right there the term baptized means to, to dip or identify. The term baptized means to dip or to identify. The moment you trust Christ... You are identified with Christ. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Where's Christ right now? Where are you? You're at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because you're in Christ. You're in Christ. Now, I know you're down here, but where, where is your position? You're in Christ. You're connected with Him. Did you know that when we do a baptism, a water baptism, a water baptism is only a picture of spiritual baptism, right? Does y'all understand that, right? And so we take a person, we put them in the water, and we go, I baptize you in the name of and we go, shoom, shoom. What is that picture of? Their death and resurrection. Who? Jesus already died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. 
When you trust in Christ, you're connected with Jesus and you died with Him, you were buried with Him, and you rose with Him. That actually happened. You've already died and rose again with Jesus. So when we baptize you and we go like this in the water, we're showing what's already happened to you because your identification in Christ, you died and rose again with Him. We'll talk more about that and we're going to really see it in Romans chapter 6. That's a little ways off, but we'll get it. So the term baptized means to dip or to identify. Notice this. Before salvation, we are identified in who? Adam. Adam. After salvation, we're identified in who? Christ. Exactly right. So I want you to see something. So the very first thing is that we've been placed in Christ. So just think about this. This is the body of Christ. This is where, this is you. You're in Christ. Okay? And, um... You are the church, which is the body of Christ. Now, I, I, don't, I can't comprehend how all this works. I can't figure out how he's there, and we're there with him, and then we're here, and he's with us, and he's in us, and we're in him. Right? You understand that? That's what it says. So how all that fits is what it tells us. So we are connected with Christ. So some great truths. Top of that page, we died and rose again with Christ. Okay? Top of the next page, we died and rose again with Christ. That's Romans chapter 6. We're not going to turn there tonight. We don't have the time, but that's Romans chapter 6. We died and rose again with Christ. The next thing down is we represent Christ. We're ambassadors. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. We're ambassadors for Christ. And then the last one, we have our position in Christ. You're connected with Jesus. So, guess what? You're in Him and He's in you. So, can you run away from Him? Can you hide from Him? Can you do sin and Him not know? It's like Jonah. What did Jonah try to do? God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah got on the boat to go the opposite direction. He thought, can I maybe get away? There, there. God said, I'll just throw a fish in the water and I'll get it all out ready for him. So, first great change. You're now in Christ. And he sees the right hand of the glory. You see the right hand of the glory. When he died on the cross, you died on the cross. When he was buried, you were buried. When he rose to a new life, you rose to a new life. That's what it's all about. We'll see this. The second great truth that we need to look at tonight is we are new. We are a new creation in Christ. We already talked about it. Okay. In fact, I'm going to do this. I'm going to erase this right here. In fact, I'm going to do this. Okay? And once again, an outstanding drawing. Beep, beep. Okay, this is a person, and we had a what? A body, a soul, a conscience, and a flesh. Okay, now we're going to get to it now. This changed the moment you believed this whole thing got put where? In Christ. Now there's another change. And the other second change is we are a new creation in Christ. And there are two things under that. A, we're made alive. B, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Okay, everybody got that? I want you to look up here. What's the first one? Made alive. That's born again. 
Remember, we were dead, now we're alive because we now have a spirit, right? What is the second thing? Holy Spirit lives in us. There he is. Do you remember we draw one we had over here? There it is. So here's the change. You are now in Christ, and now you're a new creation because you've been born again, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. So every one of us in this room, you now have the capacity to know and understand God. Now think about it. You had a body. You had a soul related to the world around you, mind, emotion, will. You had a conscience that said, that's right. That sounds right to me. Now, you can sear your conscience so you can do stuff wrong long enough it doesn't bother you anymore. And then you have this flesh that says, do it, do it, look over there, do this, do this. Yeah, because that's what I want to do. But the moment you trusted Christ, wow, you're in Christ. And now you were dead. You're alive. You now have God inside you. So that's Huge. So let's talk about it. Let's get a little bit more details. And we are made alive. Now, in Ephesians, you don't have to... Uh, in fact, go ahead. Just turn to Ephesians real quickly. Ephesians chapter 2. And in the first three verses, it tells us really what we were like. But I want you to see if you just go by Ephesians 2.1. Uh, <coughs> look what it says. Ephesians 2.1. Just kind of skip down to past that 2, 1 through 3 and just get to Ephesians 2.1. And notice what it says in verse 1. And you were dead in your what? trespasses and sin. Now, I want you to understand that. Trespass, sin. This word, trespass, and it's the, this is one thing that's kind of wrong with our handout. Uh, where is it? Do you want that one? Yeah. See, that's too close. Where it says trespass means it shouldn't be that close. We just didn't get it typed right this first time. So if anytime you see an error, anytime you see something that's wrong, tell me because we're going through it this time. We're trying to get it right. So you don't have to tell me out loud right now, but just mark it or something. The word trespass means step over the line. Step over the line. It means rebellion. Uh, do you ever do things God doesn't want you to do? Did you ever do things God didn't want you to do? Did you do it on purpose? Have you ever done anything wrong on purpose? Of course, they call presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins is that you do it on purpose. If you're out hunting and it says no trespassing, and you step across the line, you just trespassed. You did, and it's open rebellion. You were dead in your what? Trespasses. Open rebellion and your what? Sins. That other word, the word sin, actually means miss the mark. It means you just don't measure up. Even when you try hard, you don't measure up. So think about it. We were dead. This is, this is before. Um, if, you, if you take this out, this is a dead person. Anybody remember The Sixth Sense? That movie, I love that movie. That was an amazing movie. And you remember the boy, the lines he said, I see what? I see dead people, and they don't what? They don't know they're dead. Guess what? We see every day. We see dead people every day, and they don't know they're dead. If they do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, are they spiritually dead? Were they dead? Are they dead in trespasses and sins? We see dead people every day, and they don't even know they're dead. And so it says that we were 
dead in our trespasses. Look, look, he goes on to, to describe in verse 2, this is how we lived, uh, in which we formerly lived, walked according to the course of this world, that's the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil. And then verse 3 says, we lived according to the flesh. So if you go to the top of the next page, it has the world, the devil. The world, we lived according to the world, which is a fallen world system. We lived according to the devil, which of course, uh, he controls the world system. And then Ephesians 2, 3, we also lived in the what? Anybody know what to put there? The flesh. Notice it says, it says, and we lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh. Now, this is us in the past. Now, Ken, let me ask you this. As a believer, can you still live this way? Of course you can. Of course you can. You still have what? You still have the flesh. You still have a pull, you know. But, but the moment you believed in Christ, you what? You, got, you were born again. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. So there's this battle. But this is how we lived. But something happened. But something happened. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We walked according to the, to the prince of power of the air. We walked according to the world. We were dead. But by faith in Christ, we passed from what? Death to life. Ephesians 2.5, he says, Even when we were dead in our sins, God has made us alive together with Christ. Now we're alive. We're alive. We're spiritually alive. Did you realize that when you trusted in Christ for the first time ever, you could begin to understand the Word of God? Because you were spiritually dead. You, you, that's a spiritual book. And all of a sudden now you can go, oh, that's the first time I've ever seen that. That's the first time I've ever understood that. Well, how come? Because now you're alive. You're spiritually alive. And it's just amazing. Ephesians 2.5, He has made us alive. He has seated us in heavenly places. That's where Jesus is. Because remember, we already found out we're in Him. Now we're a new creation because we're spiritually alive. But we're not through. We're not through. We got the Holy Spirit. And that's amazing. I'm going to tell you why it's so amazing. The second thing is the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Comes to live in us. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, What, don't you know your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 17 basically says the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, Holy Spirit's been with you, the Holy Spirit will be in you. Now let me tell you why that's so good. Did Adam and Eve have the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling in them? No. How about Noah? No. How about Abraham? No. How about Isaac? No. Jacob? Joseph? Moses? Uh, Saul? Well, for a while he did. Not permanently, though. You're exactly right. Because I said, does, did they have the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling in them? No. How about David? No. Because David, when he sinned, he said, Oh, Lord, do not take your... Holy Spirit away from me. He could have lost the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with salvation. How about, how about Daniel? No. How about John the Baptist? No. When the church began, Acts chapter 2, the body of Christ, when God takes people and puts them in the body of Christ, and then the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, he doesn't come temporarily. He comes permanently. We're the only 
people group that's ever had the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The church is the body of Christ, the only one. Now, throughout history, God allowed the Holy Spirit to come upon people to do things. Came on Saul, came on David, come on a guy named Belazel who created all the stuff for the tabernacle. Uh, sometimes the Spirit of the Lord would come upon somebody like Samson. Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. He whipped all kind of people, right? That was the Spirit of God. It wasn't Samson. Samson may not even look muscular. You know, they make him as, oh, he looks like this bodybuilding guy. It wasn't his strength that did that. It was God's strength through him. So, it just when you, when you think about this, think how amazing every one of us in this room who know Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us and will never leave, no matter how bad we sin. See, Saul sinned, offered a sacrifice he wasn't supposed to offer, and God took the Holy Spirit away from him and put him on David. And David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, his prayer was, Oh, please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. But you know what? No matter how bad you are, and you're bad. No, we're all bad. No matter how bad we are, he'll never take the Holy Spirit away because he permanently indwells in us. Permanently indwells. But uh, like the level intensity sometimes it differs, right? Because it says in the Bible, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and we're gonna, I, I don't know if... Let me see something. I've got to remember it. I've been, I worked on three lessons today. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that about lesson three. We're going to talk about what does it mean to quench the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit's inside of us. And if you sin, the Holy Spirit goes, oh my gracious. If you grieve the Holy Spirit. Who is a, by the Holy Spirit is not a force. Holy Spirit's a person. Jesus is a person. The Father's a person. The Holy Spirit's a person. Holy Spirit's not a force like, may the force be with you. No, the Holy Spirit's a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. And he's inside of us. And grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit deals with when we allow sin in our lives. And the Holy Spirit goes, can you believe this? Why would you? This is, makes me so sad what you've done. So we'll get to that. But that's exactly what that is. So you can't lose him. But he's, you know, it, sometimes he's not happy. So, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Two things that the Holy Spirit does that affects our service. I just wanted you to throw this down. We're going to talk more about it later. But in Ephesians 1.13, the Holy Spirit seals us. Okay? Seals us. It's Ephesians 1.13. Now, what seals means, it means He, he uh, keeps us secure and safe. That means that the Holy Spirit actually says, you're saved and nothing can ever stop you from being saved. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He seals us until the day of redemption. Ephesians 1.13 says we're sealed and it's sealed forever. We are secure in Christ. That's why to me, one of the great truths that you can teach people when you lead them to Christ, help them to understand that the moment they trust in Christ, what do they get? Eternal life. How long does that last? Forever. And so they need to understand the moment they trust in Christ that they are saved and saved forever and nothing can change it. They become a child of God. They have given eternal life. They are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so there are people, there are people in our community who actually may be Christians but they don't even know if they are or they think they could lose it or they go around wondering, did I already mess up enough that I don't get to go to heaven? They just don't know. And the truth is the moment you believe in Christ, you're saved for. 
forever. Okay? And the Holy Spirit, part of that, seals us. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is He empowers us. And we're going to get to that in some other lessons. But Galatians 5.16 says, Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, Be filled with the Spirit. So some great things there. I mean, powerful things. And that's for other lessons as well. I'm just giving you the kind of the big overview tonight. So He empowers us to serve, uh, that we can serve. So, We were what? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again, the moment he then takes us and he puts us where? In Christ, in the body of Christ. And then he takes us who has a body and a soul. And what else? Conscience. And a flesh, and he takes us the moment we believe, and he gives us, he regenerates us, which means he makes us alive, and we become spiritually alive. And then he does what? Holy Spirit. And by the way, this doesn't happen like uh, 10 minutes later you get the Holy Spirit, 15 minutes later. It happens at exact that second, just, just like that. And the moment you trust Christ, you're in Christ, and you become a new creation, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. Is that unbelievable? What a great change. What a great change. And, I mean, think of what... Some of you trusted Christ when you were young. Some of you trusted Christ when you were older. I trusted Christ when I was 19. How many of you trusted Christ under 10 years old? Good good night. How about before 21? Anybody trust Christ after 21? How old are you? Okay, 25. You know, they, they do all the statistics. And 80, like it's 88% of people trust Christ before the age of 21. And after that, it goes way down. And the older a person is, the less likely they're going to trust Christ. I know that's a sad thing to say, but it's because as time goes by, they, they build up that idea of like, well, I'm just, I can't believe all that. But so it's amazing when you think about it. So think of who we are. Some of you, you trusted Christ when you were young. I had a, I had a friend that uh, he started Seaside Mission to the Jews. He started a, a Bible college. I went to Israel with him. He was an older man. And he, was, he would always talk, he'd say, how you doing, how you all doing. He was just a great guy. And this young college girl one time, he was talking about we're all sinners. And, and uh, she said, uh, Dr. Cameron, were you a pretty bad sinner before you trusted Christ? He said, oh, yes, I was about as bad a sinner as a six-year-old could get, you know. <laughs> and, and the thing about it is, you know, think of what we're like now. You're different. You're a child of God. You're redeemed. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've you got the Holy Spirit. You, you're born again. You've got this battle going on, but you're different than you could ever be. So here's what I've got right here. I've got, because of our union in Christ, we're a new creation, I want to list for you some things of who you are. And we're not going to go into a lot of detail, but I just want you to see this. We mentioned some early things, but I want to give a little more details. First of all, John 1.12, you are a child of God. Think about it. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become what? 
children of God, even those who believe on his name. So John 1, 12, you're a child of God. No longer children of the world, no longer children of the devil. We actually become children of God by faith. We're now in the family of God. We now have an eternal relationship with a heavenly father. You know, what can you call God? Abba. Father. You can call him Abba, which means what? Daddy. daddy. You can call him Daddy. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says we, that our spirit, the Holy Spirit bears spirit with our witness that we're children of God. Galatians 4, 6 says we can call God our Father. He called him Abba. Galatians 3, 26 says we're children of God by faith. So it just, that's who you are. Think about this. So sometimes people use, it says sons of God, and, but, and, but they're using sons not like as a man, but the idea that you're a child of God, and that's who we are. The second one down is Romans 8, 1. Guess what? We talked about this already. There's no condemnation to you in any way, shape, or form. No condemnation. No condemnation. What can separate you from the love of Christ? How about death? How about life? How about angels? How about principalities? How about things present? How about things in the future? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you. Let me ask you this question. How much does God love you? Huh? So does he love, let's, let's put it on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being the maximum. How much does God love you? Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, right, let's just say 10, okay? Right. When you sin, how much does God love you? 10. Before you were a Christian, how much did God love you? 10. Does his love ever change? No. We're not... God's love isn't based on whether we do right or not. God so loved the world. That's the unbelievers that he gave his son. So his love, nothing can ever separate us, okay? Uh, how about C is Romans eight seventeen? I want to show you that we are heirs of God. And I want you to turn to Romans 8 because I want you to see something that you may have never seen before. Uh, you, you, you need to make sure that when you read the Bible, you read it carefully. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And this is heir. What does it mean to be an heir of God? You have a what? An inheritance. Yeah, man, we have an inheritance. First Peter says our inheritance is kept by the power of God. Give me, tell me something that God has for you, that inheritance you have because you're his child. Eternal life. Eternal life. A man, a play, uh, he's going to prepare a place, right? Some places may be better than others. But anyway, right? In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it wasn't that way, I told you, I go to prepare a place for you. When I get real, come back and get you. And where I am, you will be also. How about a new body? You know, just and when you start thinking about the inheritance. Now, I want you to read something. Read 817. Let me read it. And you listen to it and tell me something. And if children... We are. We're heirs also of God. Is that right? And fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. How many of you have ever heard that you're an heir of God and a fellow heir with Jesus Christ? Well, you're an heir of God because you're a child of God, but you're not an, a joint heir with Christ unless you what? Suffer. That's the idea of standing for him. I've had people say, I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. I said, are you suffering? Have you suffered for Christ? Because to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ means you suffer with him. Most people say, well, no, I'm, I'm part one, not necessarily part two. 
Okay? So look at it carefully when you see that. D. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Oh my gracious. I think it's one of the most amazing things. I'm going to read to you. You don't have to turn to these verses. Uh, you can look them up later if you want to. But Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this. He says, And when we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ by grace and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. So where are you right now? You're up there going, Boy, this is, this is a great place. Okay, I love that uh, Colossians chapter 3 says, if we've been raised up with him, and we have, think on heavenly things. Wow. Wow, that's Colossians 3. Okay, E, Ephesians 1, 3, we have many spiritual blessings. Now, when people think about blessings, sometimes they think about material blessings. Does God bless us materially? Yes. How many of you in this room have been blessed by God materially? I mean, do we have... Let me ask you something. Do we just barely have enough to make it? In fact, more of us got so much we don't even know what to do with it. We got it stored in places, right? Because we got so much stuff. So He's blessed us physically, but He blesses us spiritually. Uh, without turning to Ephesians, let me tell you. And just, just listen. You don't have to write all this down. He, he's adopted us. He's redeemed us. We can know His will. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. All of that is in Ephesians chapter... And by the way, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, going through about verse 11 or 12, is all one sentence in the Greek. It's one sentence. I remember parsing that sentence when I was in seminary. I thought, now oh, this is impossible. But it's one sentence. And all he does is tell us all of the blessings that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Are uh, you ready for this next one? Which is one of my favorites. John 10, 28. We are, yes, yes. Ephesians 1, 3, basically, and it goes through about 11 or 12, or basically 1 through 14, where he gives you the, the different blessings. One's you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. The other you have redemption and forgiveness. The other one you can know God's will. He just gives a bunch of those kind of things. Okay? John 10, 28. We are secure in Christ. We are secure in Christ. He says, I give you eternal life and you what? Never perish. John 10, 28. I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. You know, if he said, I give you eternal life, does he have to say never perish? He doesn't have to. He's just saying, I'm going to make sure you grab this. Uh, you got eternal life, and you'll never perish. Just remember that. Because if it's eternal life, it can't what? It can't end. I've had people say, oh, you can lose eternal life. I said, really, how? Well, it could stop. I said, then it wasn't eternal. He didn't give you eternal life. He gave you temporary life. But he didn't say, I give you temporary life. He says, I give you eternal life. And you shall never perish. John three sixteen. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believing in Him will never perish, but have what? Everlasting life. John, 1 John five thirteen. These things were written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have what? Eternal life. Can you know that you're saved and saved forever? What about the people who say, well, I hope I'm going? 
when you talk to somebody, you know, let me tell you this, when you start sharing your faith and somehow it comes up, if you were to say something like, hey, listen, if you were to die, do you think you'd, and you could say it all kind of ways, you think you'd go to heaven, you think you'd, you think you'd be with Jesus, you think you'd be with God, if you were to die, what do people say? Some people, many people say, well, I, I think so. And I always say to them, you think so? Would you like for me to show you how you can know so? Sometimes people say, oh, yeah, I th- I, I'm, yeah, 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 I would. I say, why? If they say, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going, I go, why? Why do you think you're going? Sometimes they say things like, well, because I've tried to live a good life. Right? I say, well, you know, I don't see anyone in the scripture that says good life does it. In fact, the wages of sin is death. You ever sinned? Well, they go, yeah. I say, well, you're out. Right? And tell them how they can know that they have the gift of eternal life. Well, just so amazing. We're secure in Christ. G, we're justified and redeemed. Justified and redeemed. Wow. We're justified by faith. What does justified mean? Anybody know? Yeah. Well, it actually, it, that's what people used to say, but that really doesn't mean that. It just, it, it justified means to be declared right. It's, it's a judge. It's a legal term. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus Christ justifies you, he says, I declare you right. Are you right? Have you sinned? So you sin and come short of the glory of God. But but God says, but I justify you and declare you righteous. Are you righteous? Justification does not make you righteous. Justification declares you righteous. What makes you righteous? Imputation. When he gives you his righteousness, there's two different things. We'll talk about them. We'll talk about them in this. But I just want you to understand something, that justification is a legal term that he says, you're righteous. You may be the biggest scoundrel in the world, but the judge says you're okay. But at the same time, that same judge not only says you're okay, he makes you okay. So justification and redemption. Redemption means to purchase by paying a price. Let, listen, let me tell you this. Uh, how many of you remember S&H green stamps? Okay. And so you, what did you do? You went to the grocery store with your mom. I went with my mama. And they, they would give out green stamps when you got groceries, right? And you had those books. And, and you licked them and you stuck them in those books. And then when you got a certain number of books, you could go to what store? The redemption store. Okay, because you're going in there to purchase something, and the purchase price was S&H green stamps. My mother bought me a baseball glove one time, huh? 47 books for a, I don't know what it costs for a... Jennifer's dad was a pilot. Yeah. And he used to go to places and fill up the planes that gave S&H green stamps. We furnished our whole house. Yeah, with S&H green stamps? Yeah. Okay, and it was called the... Redemption. We are redeemed. We've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. That's who we are. And Romans 5, 1, there's no condemnation. 1 Peter 3, 18. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 18. We're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Who purchased you? When did he do it? When he died on the cross. Ah, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. One five? Did I did I write the wrong verse down? No. Oh, it is a beautiful verse. I thought maybe you want me to read it because I messed up again. No. <laughs> listen to this. John is John is writing to the seven churches which are in Asia, and he says, "Grace to you, peace from him who is, 
and who was and who is to come. That's God. He's, all, he's past, present, and future. And from the seven spirits before the throne. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called seven spirits because seven's the perfect number. And then he says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Firstborn of the dead means the first one to come back from the dead never to die again. That's Jesus. And he says, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, he rules everything, to him who, present tense, loves us and releases us from our sins by his blood. That is a great, I'm glad you told me. I was just going to skip it, but I'm glad you told me to do it. It's such a great verse. It's such a great verse. Have you thought about what we just did? Think, think of what you could do with those two verses. What could you teach somebody just with those two verses that we just read? Because isn't that what we're supposed to do? Who's the teacher? You are. Who's making disciples? You are. Who's to take what you know and pass on to somebody else? We are. So when we study all this, you ought to be going, man, oh man, i got to put this together because i got to tell this to somebody else. <laughs> right? Right? Go ahead and read verse 6 and you're going. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> okay, all right, because right, it's got an amen at the end. Okay, let me do it. And it says, and he's not only released us from our sins by his blood, he has made us to be a kingdom, literally it says a kingdom of priests, to his God and Father, we are all kings and priests. That's what it is. Kingdom of priests, kings and priests. Because we've got the great high priest, Jesus Christ, and the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and we get to rule under him as kings and priests. And then it says, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Anybody, did anybody here know Hebrew? You know, what, what does amen mean? Truth. It means true. Yeah, it means truth. It's a Hebrew word. But it was transliterated. It's amen in Hebrew, and it means truth. And it was transliterated into Greek, amen, which means truly or truth. And then it's been translated into English, which means end of the prayer. No, it doesn't. It actually means true. So when you say, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, what you just said was, in Jesus' name we pray, the truth. So amen's not the end of a prayer. Amen means Truth. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that? Oh, that's beautiful. Okay. You got anything else you want me to read? No. Okay. okay. <laughs> it is so good. Okay. Uh, where are we? Where are we? Okay. Last thing. So here's the change. The change is what? Change is that we've been placed in Christ, in union with Him, and we're a new creation. Been placed in Christ. And we're a new creation. Wow. Which means we've been made alive and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. So let me give you some summary. And, and then, uh, so number one, number one, and you don't have to write all this down. You may do, here's number one. Basically, the Christian life is the time period from our salvation to being with Jesus Christ either by death or his return. So you don't have to write all that down, but just remember the Christian life is that time period from the time we trust Christ to the time we are either die physically or meet Jesus Christ one way or the other, right? So you, you don't have to write every word, but that's, just know what the Christian life is. Everybody sort of got it? Number two is this. When we trust Christ as Savior, we are changed people. 
When we trust Christ as Savior, we are changed people. And there's an A and a B. A, we are now in union with Christ. In union with Christ. Just think, when he died, you what? You died. When he was buried, you were? When he rose again, you? Rose again. When he's raised up and seated in heavenly places, where are you? Raised up and seated in heavenly places. And then B, we become a new creation. A new creation. And if you want to put under that, that part that says if we become a new creation, we're spiritually alive and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's the two big things there. Spiritually alive and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And what's our memory verse? What does it say? Anybody know? Therefore, if any man be what? He's a what? New creation. Old things are gone. Behold what? New things have come. The old is gone and the new has come.